What's next for Mike Foote? I know there's uh, something you're cooking up in the month of March that uh, listeners might be interested in. I can't tell you. Can't tell you? It's still super secret? <laughs> it's still super secret. Dang, man, what can people find out? You might have to edit it out. Edit it out. Hello, and welcome to A New Angle. I'm your host, Justin Angle, Associate Professor of Marketing at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around Missoula, Montana. We're interested in creativity and hustle, and the people we'll speak with here exude both of those in spades. Buckle up and let's go. Hello and welcome to A New Angle. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, We appreciate all the comments and support we've been getting from you listeners. So uh, again, can't thank you enough for uh, for supporting the show. And uh, as I've been asking, please, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, spread the word, let others know so we can grow this thing. Anyway, I will stop with the uh, shameless self-promotion and get to the point here. This week, we have a really fun interview with a dear friend of mine, uh, Mike Foote. If you have engaged in the endurance community uh, in Montana in any way in the last 10 years, you know who Michael Foote is. He's sort of a mainstay of the community here. Um, Good friend from the running space. And what we talked about today is is how much of an innovator he is and how he has driven positive change in this community through the various things he works on. Uh, The focal point of of Mike's work uh, that we talk about today is the rut mountain runs that are an incredible event that's grown from you know a first year event five years ago to just huge prominence in the in in the running space in the last five years a world-class event that he basically built from scratch and then some of his other community involvements and how he approaches life as a professional athlete and uh, someone who uh, excels in a sport where it doesn't actually pay him much of a living wage, so he has to hustle to find other ways to support himself. Mike was generous with his time. He's a fun guy to talk to. Uh, I appreciate him coming on the podcast, and I will turn it over to Mike Foote. All right, so I'm here with Mike Foote. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. Good to be here. So when I moved to town in 2012, I think, Mike, you were the, maybe the first person in town I knew or knew of. You know, we go back a ways through the running community, and that's how a lot of people know about you in, in this town. Um, my first point of contact was at a race, but then shortly thereafter, you were kind of branded as the guy who was going to Europe and really kicking butt in a big race over there, the, the Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc. What was your first year there? Uh, I think it was the year before you and I met, so it was 2011. 2011. There. And so one of the things we'll get into to today is this guy, Mike Foote, is a, he's really entrepreneurial in his spirit, and he's brought that to many of the, the ventures around town that we'll get into. But um, I remember you printed t-shirts to, <laughs> to fund your trip to Europe. I mean, going to Europe as, as kind of a, a young, emerging dirtbag runner, that's a big deal. So print us up some t-shirts to raise some funds. Is that right? That's funny. You've done your research. (laughs) (laughs) We have a crack research committee here. Yeah, no kidding. Um, That Gosh, come to think of it, maybe that was like one of my first business ventures. Uh, Yeah, so I wanted to go run this race over in Europe, you know, the the most well-known, most competitive ultra running race in the world. And 
uh, needed to raise funds to get over there. I didn't have any sponsorships at the time. And uh, a friend of ours, Mike Wolf, and mm-hmm. you know who was uh, sponsored by the North Face, was uh, going over there and, and and doing it, and had done it a few times, and told me all about it, and offered up a very small space on his floor to sleep, and all I had to do was get a plane ticket over there, and I could probably take care of myself from there. And uh, still, no small endeavor getting a plane ticket. To get you to France. Oh, no, I needed a few thousand bucks. I needed a few thousand bucks to make this happen. And uh, yeah, I think I printed some sort of foot goes to Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc and T-shirt. And I ended up selling like 250 or 300 of them, which was just mind boggling. I didn't think I thought maybe I'd sell a couple dozen and just goes to show that folks in Missoula really rally to support. And it was a good reminder that I had a great network here. And it was kind of the beginning of my, my ultra running career in a way. Yeah, that kind of put you on a lot of people's maps yeah. in this tiny little sport. So the yeah. three maps that were out there. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I think it really speaks to your kind of entrepreneurial spirit, but also your commitment to this community. So you just by way of kind of some bio from Ohio, moved here for the latter part of your college years. You want to paint that picture of what brought you... Midwest kid, baseball player, out to Missoula and, and to <laughs> yeah. become a... Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, playing baseball on like three different teams in the summer and literally working on muscle cars while listening to classic rock, like a very traditional, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, drinking beer down by the tracks and all of that. Like that was my childhood. Living the dream. <laughs> it was great. And then I saw mountains for the first time when I was 18 on a, my freshman college, you know, spring break trip with some friends. We went out to Moab and I had like a $130 uh, mongoose mountain bike that I got mm-hmm. from Walmart. And I just rallied mountain biking trails <laughs> for like eight days and loved it and realized that I really loved the American West. So uh, my, my trajectory changed quickly and yeah, finished up my undergrad here, started running while I was here just for, or started trail running a lot more when I was here, uh, just because the access was incredible and everybody talked and talked about all the different trail options around Missoula and bit by bit, I started to explore further and further and, you know, fell in love with it. Sure. So graduated UM, environmental studies, 2006. Is that, is that right? Correct. That's right. And so since then, well, after that, you you were kind of pretty serious about career as a ski patroller and maybe into avalanche, the avalanche forecasting space, or I know you kind of went down that path for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I ski patrolled up in Whitefish, Montana for a few years. And during that time really uh, invested myself in the snow safety program up there and avalanche research and, and all of that and started leading training and, you know, chasing my own, uh, opportunities in education there and took a lot of courses and uh, ended up moving down to Big Sky to further chase that because the, you know, another small niche community, yeah, but, you know, yeah. one of the epicenters in North America is in Bozeman. And there's a really impressive uh, snow science graduate program mm-hmm. there. And so I wanted to to suss that out and see if that was an opportunity for me to kind of move forward into grad school yeah sure and as you're on that path you're you're running exploits are emerging you're starting to have some results feel like hmm this might be something that i should an itch that i should scratch a little bit more yeah so i was starting to you know do ultra running races up to 100 mile races i think i had done two or three and i was still ski patrolling in the winters and 
you know, a very labor intensive job, and, yeah. you know, hanging out in ski boots when you're cold all day and, but playing around in the mountains a lot. And I loved it. And I would run to and from work sometimes. And all my, you know, ski patrol friends would start having beers after work and I'd throw on my running shoes and go get a 10 or 12 miler in. And it, it was rough. And I still remember the phone call that I made with my old patrol director and said, Hey, I'm going to go to Missoula this winter and run instead. <laughs> he, he was like, what? And this was after, uh, after getting, being the top American at UTMB. Right, so that right. was it. That was, I started to get on people's radar. Uh, I became a North face athlete that following year. Right. And sport is starting to grow, get more popular. I wouldn't call it mainstream, but it's, it's, it's become visible to more people. Yeah. And I loved it. And the community was really uh, inclusive and it just felt, felt like the right move at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, moved to Missoula to do that. And so along with that, you know, the the sort of exploration of, of endurance sport, particularly a sport like ultra marathon is pretty self-centered. I mean, it's an individual sport. You got to be very inward with a lot of your focus um, but what has always struck me about you is your your commitment to this community. So your work at the Runner's Edge and putting on the Runner's Edge events. So how did that kind of come about from dedicating yourself more to running to all of a sudden becoming committed to building the running community here in Missoula? Yeah, I think, gosh, it's such a big, long arc of so many different events. But for me, I hate to use this term, but it felt like a very organic progression. I mean, okay. I, you know, being an environmental studies major, I, I I learned to write well. I learned to be a critical thinker. I learned to be a good citizen within my community. I learned mm-hmm. like certain really strong skill sets, but I had no business sense or or any of that or knew how to grow events or market events or or really had a I hadn't really been thinking about what I guess my career would be or how I would carve that out. I mean, we're all doing that in Missoula in a certain way, it feels like. And that's that's the narrative here is obviously we're all yeah. trying to just create these niches to to fill. And, you know, I've, you know, looking back, definitely done that here. And I, I've, I have a lot of gratitude for Andrews Brooker, the owner of the Runner's Edge, mm-hmm. for kind of taking me under his wing and showing me, uh, you know, showing me what good business sense is and all these things through through building the events arm of the Runner's Edge business. So <clears throat> trying to think of where to go with this. Well, what so your was, question your, what was is, kind of the first event that you really dug your, dug your teeth into? Like, well, yeah. okay. So I, yeah. I assume you started working on the floor selling shoes. I sold a lot of shoes. Yeah. And so you get to know <laughs> the people you're putting shoes on. They yeah. know you because they, yeah. they know the sport. Yeah. And then you start, yeah, you know, working oh, yeah, at definitely. events, race directing, like mm-hmm. that obviously yeah. uh, fed something in you. What was that? Yeah, I think I loved working on the floor and, and selling shoes and honestly just being on the front lines of hanging out with people in the community and getting to know folks okay. a lot more. And I, I appreciated that. And, um, you know, after a couple of years, it was obvious that I wanted to kind of challenge myself a little bit more and find different ways to do that. And Anders was happy to do so and, and said, well, why don't we put on a trail race? And it was the Blue Mountain 30K, which okay. was gosh, probably 2010 was our first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're in our eighth or ninth year now. And the race sells out. Race sells year. out quick. And yeah. yeah and, 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 you know, we, we focus on a high quality event that's well organized and, and, you know, we try and have people have a good time and tell their friends for the next year. And 
you know, we went from a, that small trail race to now we have, you know, close to a dozen events um, that all, for the most part, do very well. And everything from the Blue Mountain 30K, which, you know, has 100 people in it because that's our Forest Service permit, to, you know, our Rut Mountain Runs, which just sold out in a week with 2,700 spots. So, right. So that, that being kind of the crown jewel, the Rut Mountain Runs, and I wanted yeah. to kind of dive into that because... Yeah. You know, this race, um, 50K, 28K, 15 or 11K, yep. various distances, a kid's race. The runt run. Exactly. <laughs> and this race has become the thing in mountain running in North America. I mean, it is iconic in just a short number of years. So this will be year six, six. or six. Yeah. And I mean, I remember when you and Mike Wolf were just kind of cooking up this idea and yeah. pitching it to Big Sky. And yeah. now it is like people build their entire calendar around it. Other races locate themselves so as they don't conflict with the rut. Yeah. Um, let's kind of dig into that. Like yeah. this idea, where did the idea start and how did you execute on it? Yeah. So, you know, going back to my time over in Europe racing, uh, you know, now I've been over there almost a dozen times for, for various running and ski mountaineer races and uh, the culture that celebrates endurance sport especially in the mountains is you know levels above where we are in North America so far and there's just a deep and rich history and the you know events over there are much more sophisticated much larger much uh you know requiring more resources and I just saw this huge break between you know the American culture which was very low-key everybody's drinking beer the night before and all these things I love, but seeing what a big, well-organized event can be in Europe was really appealing to me and, and seeing just like the level of competition and all these things. And both myself and Mike Wolf felt that way and wanted to bring something back to Montana that had just a little bit of that, but still like the Montana feel and vibe. Sure. And that's always been our, our, you know, intent with the rut. And we, so we, started looking for areas to put on an event in Montana and quickly honed in on Big Sky Resort because the terrain was so just iconic. I mean, it's it's technical, it's exposed, it's, you know, dramatic and, mm -hmm. and draws people in. And then also we have this great infrastructure of a world-class ski resort right there in order to, you know, have... 3,000 people plus their friends and family showing up for a weekend. I mean, that's kind of what sets us apart is that we're lucky enough to to have those resources there versus another trail race that just starts and finishes at a Forest Service trailhead. Yeah, it, one of the things I think to provide that that little bit of European flavor is like in Europe, you, you're you can get into the many people can get into the mountains very quickly there. Yeah. It's not that they're so centered near population centers, but the, the these communities are in the mountains. There are these tramways. It's just, it's so accessible. So like you said, you can't really have a race. You can, and there's plenty of races in the States at forest service trailheads, but you can't create that European experience there. But at big sky, there's really no barriers between the spectator and the mountain spectators can take the tram up. I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing venue. We had over just to set the stage in, in the United States, like most trail running races are 
you know, a couple hundred people often due to forest service permits and, and, and there's thousands of them and they're fantastic. And some like the biggest, most well-known trail running races in the world, like the hard rock 100 has 140 participants, but it, it's just very rare that races get large in the United States due to permitting issues, which is, which is what it is. And that's fine. Um, but we're just so different at the rut and we're, we have a few thousand runners and we also have, I mean, we had over a thousand spectators a day. Yeah. And that's who we're riding lifts to get to aid stations. And that's not counting people just in the base area. And Big so, Sky, just to be clear, yeah. privately owned. They own oh, all the yeah. land. Yeah, so yeah. that's a big difference. They own the mountain, yeah. yeah, which is a very, again, unique situation. Right. Um, but does allow us latitude to create, um, you know, really unique courses that you probably wouldn't find elsewhere. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now, I mean, it is, it's got to be one of the most difficult races in the country and people line up to get into it yeah i mean they 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 are fighting for the right to torture themselves on this course yeah i think it's it's really interesting in our culture that i think people are often trying to find bigger and bigger challenges and we we separated ourselves early on by being by by really celebrating that and owning it and mm-hmm. and you know talking a big game about it and i think people love it and and it's true i mean you know i there's just sections of each of those courses that are probably more extreme than other terrain you would find in other events. And, but then, I mean, I think people love the fact that they can get a hotel right in the base area and bring their family. And again, going back to that infrastructure. And I, I think that that's been as important of an ingredient as the train itself. Yeah. And you put a ton of thought and care into the experience of the competitor. I mean, we call it the user experience and business, whatever, yeah. but the customer experience in that. So what are some of your key guiding philosophies with regard to customer experience here at the rut? I think that, wow, I've never actually tried to articulate that, which is funny. Maybe I should. Well, you have a great intuition about it because you're yeah. the event. I mean, I can tell you what I think about, but this is, no, no, this I, is I've got a couple of answers. I think we always focus on quality. What does you quality know? mean in this yeah. context? Yeah. I think the first thing that comes to mind is communication. Like I, I feel really lucky that I've had many positive and many negative experiences mm-hmm. as a racer yeah, yeah. and, and a runner and, and somebody who's been on the receiving end of a, of going to an event. And I always just am so pleased and grateful for the events that are well organized mm-hmm. and, and, and bring that quality to the way that they communicate throughout the year leading into the event, the way that they, mark their course, the way that they treat their volunteers, the way that they throw, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm sure there's many more examples, but for me, it's like, maybe it's not quality. Maybe it's attention to detail. I don't know. I, again, I'm, that's, that's interesting. I've never tried to articulate two, it the at The two all, intimately but, relate at yeah. least with, with regard to the way I've watched you kind of operate. Yeah. And space. I, and I think it's just as important for, I mean, we really focus on the fringes of it all, you know, whether it's, trying to create a really good spectator experience, a really good volunteer experience. Yeah. We, we focus on, we put a lot of time into really random things that other events might not think about. Like, you know, the first couple of years we had a mechanical bull for our after party, which people just loved. And now we're giving out free real tattoos at the finish line, yeah. you know I mean? <laughs> which I thought only one or two people would show up and get the free tattoo. And we had 80 people sign up last year and 60 got tattoos before our tattoo artist ran out of supplies. And it's you've literally created a brand. Yeah. We're branding people now. (laughs) You are branding people. 
we we actually did create a brand, an actual hot metal brand. I remember Mike Wolf's dad built <laughs> yeah, that, right? Because he's a blacksmith. Yeah, yeah. We thought we joked about branding people with that, but we never got around to that. But we do now give out tattoos. And so I think a word that I throw around in my head, and I don't really, I guess, outwardly share that much, is like doing things on the fringe. Um, and I really celebrating that and just trying to stay just on the edge of what's normal in these yeah. events. Okay. And uh, I think that just adds to the experience for people, really. This episode of A New Angle is brought to you by Sapphire Physical Therapy. Sapphire has been in the business of helping active people heal and thrive since 1994. The organization has deep commitment to this community, and they are experts in overuse injuries, sports injuries, neck and back pain, and individualized strengthening programs. And I certainly know that they've put me back together on many occasions. To learn more, visit sapphirept.com. And now back to the show. Well, so it sounds like you, you're always trying to think about what is some unique twist that's yeah. not being done. Yeah. You want to sort of stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, definitely. I just want to keep it fresh. And like, I think the rut's doing really well as an event right now. And it's kind of become my baby. Like I've, I've, I've taken over, you know, the role, just the sole race director. And, uh, you know, we have, we have a great team of people that support it mm-hmm. and show up on the weekend, but uh, it's just been fun to try and come up with what stories do we want to tell? How do we, I mean, the event sell, we sold out in a week, right. nine months before the event. However, I still want to focus on remaining relevant, telling stories, getting people excited about it. Like, I, I don't want to just sit on, like we could, I guess, sit on our haunches a little or on our laurels. Yeah, that's one strategy. Bit, right? hey, we've sold out, we're done. Yeah. I'll see you Labor Day. And I've seen events do that. And I don't know, for me, it's, it is like, creating that culture still is like the fun mushy part of it that I never know how to really do, but I kind of poke away at, you know, and I'm constantly like waking up with ideas and thinking about how to just twist it a little bit and, Mm -hmm. and make that experience for somebody who's been there all six years and hopefully for 10 years straight, you know, every year there's something new that they're experiencing though the, the core of it's still the same. What's an idea that you've said no to with the run? Like you, you've got it a very intuitive sense of this brand, this experience you've tried to create the guiding principles of this event. What are some, a thing or a couple of things you've said no to like, no, that's not what we want this event to be. Yeah. A couple of things. It's interesting. I, I've been told many times to add like a 100 mile distance to the race. Okay. And for me, just knowing that area well enough, we could never do it in a way that that course would feel like a rut course. Mm. It would feel like all the other courses out there in the United States, which is to say beautiful rolling single track that, you know, rises and descends at a gradual grade. And I just think people can find that elsewhere. And uh, though that could add to growth and profit for the event, it doesn't feel like it fits what we do and what we want. And logistically it would be challenging but i think we could if we really wanted it we might overcome those hurdles but and i'm not saying we'll never do it i just i've struggled to find a way to do that that feels like it's good for the event also i've been told to replicate the event in a bunch of different areas and again i feel that same thing where maybe i'm not a good businessman in that regard but i i feel like it would only dilute the experience that people have where we're having it right now and I just don't see being able to replicate it in a way that really makes sense. 
Yeah, um, like Rotten Mountain Runs does Lookout Pass, just doesn't have the same yeah. kind of ring to it. Nothing against and, Lookout Pass. And it comes down to relationships. Like, I like, I'm just the kind of person that likes to work with people that, you know, I have true relationships with, and I'm I'm not interested in cold-calling Aspen Resort to say, hey, I sure. want to put on this event at your... And maybe I should, and who the heck knows? But I, I think we gotta get got a good thing going here. And I'm, I, I'm a slow burn kind of guy, so like mm-hmm. I like to slowly but surely like evolve a project. And I'm not the type to just move fast and break things. And that's just my style. And I'd rather focus on what we've got going on and growing that, and you know, making it a more rich experience every year until we feel like we can't, and then maybe look beyond that. But yeah, so in, in, then in that context, what does growth look like? I mean, you said you sell out in a week. Um, what is what does growth look like from here on out? Well, what's your what's your view of that? Yeah, so great question. The we've so going back to the fact that Big Sky Resort is privately the the area where we have our event is privately owned. I still remember the first con- one of the first <laughs> I conversations I had with. Uh, you know, the folks there and me saying, well, normally we do races where we can only have a couple hundred folks to do permitting. And, you know, would that be an issue here? And their answer was, well, we have about 6,000 beds. (laughs) So we can have 6,000 people if you want here. And And at this point, like a big, (laughs) a big ultra marathon in the United States was 400, 500 people. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So the thought of 6,000 was just otherworldly oh yeah. Uh, yeah not even within the realm of belief um so we've actually had self-imposed caps on all of our events throughout the years and we started at 400 then 1100 then 1800 then 24 26 and now 2700 people and over what, six years and what drives the the, the the reasoning of those caps for me it's user experience okay is that what you call it User yeah, experience. I think that's a technical term. Maybe you can use it. Um, for me, it's user experience and safety. Honestly, I mean, we obviously want to grow if we can. I mean, the event's doing well and we want to, you know, continue to allow it to do that. And for me, it's there's going to be a point of diminishing returns if you're out there and the trails are too packed or if our medical team doesn't feel like they can keep up with the demand of, right, right, of the, right. everybody out there. So we, we also have an insane, I mean, we have 80 or 90 medical staff. We have a helicopter, helicopter on site, multiple ambulances, the ski patrol search and rescue. I mean, we haven't, we it's, have a very, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's legit. It's terrain. legit. You are out there, yeah. you're exposed. There's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of potential for, for problems out yeah. there. So we're always talking with the medical side of, of our team about, okay, well, if we increase it, can we handle that capacity is the, like, can the course itself handle that? Like mm-hmm. what if, what if something were to go wrong? Like how can we deal right, with that? Right. Luckily, I mean, you know, we always have insane weather, but you've had course changes due to weather. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. We can always change the course and right. maybe not put 10,000 people up into the Alpine when a snowstorm's coming through or whatever. So growth, growth has been dictated by that a little bit. And also, uh, I think, so yeah, the user experience, the safety side of things, and you know, I, I'm again, it goes back to that slow burn. Like I think, I honestly think, if we wanted to spread another thousand spots out through all of our events, we probably could still fill it over time. This oh yeah, year. you'd and, sell them out. I'm and, confident in that. But I don't, I don't know. I feel like 
I've always just wanted to increase it by 15% here, 20% there and see how it was that year and see if I felt good about it. And I haven't been really scientific about it. It's just been more of a go by your, go by feel. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's been a good, good decisions though, because I think a byproduct of that is there's this scarcity thing to it. I mean, people, (laughs) the event sells out so darn quick that, you know, it, who knows, maybe if we allowed a ton more people and it sold out a lot slower, maybe that appeal would, you know, be gone of it, but that hasn't been like the main driver behind it. But sure. that's definitely been a byproduct is that because it fills out so quickly, I mean, it, it creates buzz. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And it's, I feel like this, the rut has a unique kind of buzz around it. it it's one of those events that people are just purely stoked on the event rather and it's called the mount the, the rut mountain runs it's not called the rut mount mountain races yeah and that distinction between a race mm. and yeah. a run that's not to say it's not competitive we got i mean you got a world-class field every year right. but talk a little bit about that this this notion of race versus run and how that plays out in the community i think it's interesting because i am a competitive trail runner myself i celebrate that that aspect of the sport but i also just celebrate community and culture as an mm-hmm. individual and I've, I think we can, uh, it's funny. I've never actually thought about, again, articulated this in my head about the rut specifically, but I've always just That's thought what of, these interviews are for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah you're right. bringing it. That's I love right. it. Um, <laughs> sorry, I knocked you off your train. No, no, it's good. I truly do think that I, I've always like, and I think we even have that language on the website at this point, but like three days of mountain running celebration. I mean, for me, it's about this tribe of people getting together, challenging themselves, like, you know, shoulder to shoulder out on the trail together and having a great time and celebrating that. And that's the majority of the people that show up. I mean, they're there for their own personal goals. They're sharing times with friends and family and it's a celebration. Like I've always loved that aspect. And I think events that, really own that are the events that I personally love to go, mm-hmm. you know, experience and be a part of. And so I really wanted to create that. We want to create that at the rut. And, you know, so I do think that's a huge aspect of that. And that's how I've always in my mind thought about the event is just a three day mountain running celebration. And so I think that really speaks to the mountain runs part of it. Just go out there and have a great time. And then also we very much have chased you know, we have a $13,000 prize purse. We have, we're part of us, you know, sky running world series, which is one of the, one of the more well-known, you know, uh, mountain running series in the world that gets elite athletes to mm-hmm. come all the way to big sky, Montana and, you know, spectators, other participants love that. They love getting to their race and standing at the line next to some of their like heroes in the sport sure. you know, again niche sport but you know to see the people they see in magazines and i've read interviews with and it's a it's a really cool cross-pollination of that yeah so okay so let's shift gears from the rut a little bit there's a couple yeah. other things i'd like to hit while i have you here uh the first is you know you sort of got on people's radar screen with this great performance in this race over in Europe in a fringe sport that nobody knew much about, right? Correct. And at the same time, this <laughs> sport is starting to rise and all of a sudden, you know, you become this prominent guy in, in Missoula and in this, this sort of small ultra trail running space. Yeah. And, and, and you've sort of said goodbye to skiing for a while. Now you've come back to skiing and now you're sort of gaining more notoriety in another fringe sport 
that you're then bringing back to Missoula. So I sort of <laughs> left a lot of holes in that space. This, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the sport I'm talking about is ski mountaineering, hashtag schemo. Uh, <laughs> so tell us about that. What is what is ski mountaineering and, and, and why do you love it? Oh, man. Uh <sighs> Yeah, I kind of, I kind of joke in my head. I'm like, ah, oh, trail running is getting too big. So I'm like, <laughs> apparently <laughs> moving on to more niche That's right. sports. That's right. And as like schemo grows, I wonder what like the next even smaller, more niche sport is. That's that a I'm good chase. strategy in life to find a list, <laughs> small list and yeah. try to get to the top. And when you're at the top of that, you can find a smaller list. So yeah. You can stay at the top. There we go. That's maybe again, unknowingly, that's been my, my path all along. Uh, ski mountaineering is a... Uh, so schemo is short for ski mountaineer racing, and it essentially is a sport that, you know, surprise, surprise is quite large in Western Europe and mm-hmm. has a huge following and rich history, uh, that essentially entails skinning up mountains, skiing down them, moving through complex mountain terrain efficiently is how it boils down in my head in the winter here in Montana, that's what I love to do. So it's like a combination of backcountry skiing and trail, mountain trail running. On, exactly on a race course. So you're you're using skins on your skis and going uphill. Uh, oftentimes throwing them on a, on your backpack. You know, boot packing up a really steep couloir chute. Yeah. Going along a rocky ridge. Sometimes with fixed ropes that you literally clip into. It's very much a technical mountain race, which is amazing. And what I love to do year round. And so this sport has been a conduit for me to continue to do what I love in the mountains in the winter and continue to train in a way that I love. Uh, I've really invested in it in the last few years and it's just been um, fantastic. Yeah. Let's just make sure to be clear with the listeners. Like Mike's a pretty humble guy and he'll say he's invested in it. What that means is that he has one of the best in the country at this and competes uh, on the national team representing the United States in the world championships. And so I just want to, you're not going to say that, but I'll, I'll, I'm not. I'll do it for you. <laughs> but one of the things that's remarkable is that you have brought that sport kind of to this community. And now you put on a series up at Snowball where you get 70 plus people out on Thursday nights to, to do these kind of races. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we put on a little, we call it rando radness because randonnée is, uh, randonnée skiing is what they call it in, in France. And, uh, it's, it's just the locals, you know, very fun Thursday night, uh, weekly series we do in the winter. And yeah, we get 70, 80 folks up there nightly, and we have a really good time and snowball is just the local ski area up up the road and uh we have a blast with it i I think again it goes back to that community building i think it's Mm -hmm. just in my genetics to poke around and create things and uh see who will show up and missoula has a tendency to show up no matter what which is always surprising to me and yeah, we're, we're three years into it now and it's just been a fun side project. And, and I, what I really like about it is I continue to meet a lot of really cool people that I wouldn't have met through the running community that I'm now meeting through the skiing community, which has been really right, fun. Right. Yeah. And you're providing a touch point to something new for a lot of people here. Which yeah, is pretty special. exactly. Yeah. Um, final thing, as we kind of wrap up, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your involvement with Five Valleys Land Trust. I know that you've been passionate about um, public public lands, yeah. access to open space, protection of open space, and so that has 
sort of led you to an opportunity to be a board member of Five Valleys Land Trust. Yeah. And that's that's really important work, and it's reflective of your commitment to this community, but also this bigger picture of, as a mountain athlete, you have a responsibility to kind of protect those mountains. Yeah. Yeah, so I I think it just goes back to growing up in a small town in Ohio and not really being aware of things like public lands and moving out to the American West and having this really positive experience in my life of, you know, exploring in the mountains and of complete lifestyle, a healthier lifestyle change and, and a healthier, you know, happier life out here than I think I would have ever found in the Midwest. And, sure. uh, I think, you know, the constant backdrop to all of those experiences and that growth has been open spaces and public lands. And so I think in the last handful of years, it's become more and more apparent to me that just how much value there is in that. And so as I get a little bit older and as I continue to use and utilize these resources that we have and have access to, it's important to me to give back. And it's been, uh, you know, catalyzed. It's if a catalyst in the last few years has just been that there's been a lot of really polarizing issues surrounding public lands and uh, you know, I think it's been fun for me to work with Five Valleys Land Trust, the organization here in Missoula that, you know, works really hard to protect open spaces and places that we all love around the Missoula region. And it feels in a lot of ways very apolitical. And it just feels very like a great community of people from all walks of life that support that organization, because a lot of the people who we might have different va- or different political views or backgrounds I mean, a lot of the people in Western Montana are here because they love open space. And so it just feels like a very noble (laughs) mission and cause to work with that organization. And uh, yeah, as a trail runner, I utilize those landscapes, like frankly, every day. And I think about what it would be like had the work that that organization and other organizations had done 20, 30, 40 years ago, if they hadn't done that, what it would look like today. And, you know, I'm always like, okay, this is my turn. You know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Like it's our turn to, you know, do the good work. And 20 years from now, you know, somebody else will be, you know, benefiting from that. Mm -hmm. So, so that, I mean, the big theme here, Mike, that I, I really admire about you and your, your sort of outlook is you're very thoughtful about how you um, deploy your efforts. And I think that maps on to being a successful athlete. Like you gotta, you gotta know when to, to be on the gas and when to be off. And, and you do a really nice job of, of looking for areas for maximal impact while also having deep commitment to the community. So speaking of maximal impact and kind <laughs> of how to, uh, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is going to put you on a little on the spot a little bit. Uh-oh. So, what's next for Mike Foot? I know there's uh, something you're cooking up in the month of March that uh, listeners might be interested in. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. It's still super secret. <laughs> it's still super secret. Dang, when can people find out? You might have to edit it out. I don't know. I just I was going to release ready. this like right before you, you go. Oh my gosh. Um, like that's when, what I was like thinking. When are you like, going to release it? Like the week you're going after it. Okay, you can. That's fine. So. Yeah, it's it's just it's just like every other athletic achievement that anybody really chases. It doesn't really matter, and it's just some contrived thing. However, however, <laughs> uh, this yeah, in in mid March, I'm gonna attempt to break the world record for most vertical feet climbed and skied in 24 hours. Current record is 60,000 feet. So if you live here in Missoula, that's 30 plus laps of Mount Sentinel in a wow. day. 
Um, I'm going to do it up in Whitefish at Whitefish Mountain Resort. Uh, there's so a, that's sixty thousand up and sixty thousand down. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which, if you don't live in Missoula, it's like going up and down Mount Everest twice in a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is often what people use for these references. Um, for me, it's I, I love the movement of of uh, skiing and going up and down, and I just Last year was a world championships year, which only happens every other year. So I, along with the U.S. ski team, went over there. Ski mountaineering team went over there and raced in Italy, had a fantastic experience. Um, I plan to do the same thing next year, but this year is kind of an off year to have different goals. And yeah. though I'm racing a little bit domestically, I'm, I'm mostly focused on this goal and just it's been uh, all encompassing. I think what I like about it and what motivates me and what scares me is that is it it exposes my fitness and my ability to do something more than a race because I'm not lining up against other competitors. I'm lining up against a clock mm-hmm. and a mountain and I've got 24 hours to do something I said I was going to do. And I'm going to try to do and I either do it or I don't. It's very black and white and it's very vulnerable to do an event in this way. Um, so I think I'm as motivated for this as I've ever been for anything in my life physically and it's super exciting and I'm going to have a great support crew to do it. And yeah, I'm going to see if I can't ski 61,000 feet. 61,000 feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, so I, it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll, awesome. well, it'll be something. Fun, fun in quotes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike was kind of fun. Yeah. So anyway, best of luck with that. I am sure you. you will crush it as you crush most things in life. Uh, thanks for your generosity. Uh, not only to the podcast here, but but to this community. Um, you certainly welcomed me, and I think you've been uh, a great touch point for many people in this town and beyond. So, Mike Foote, thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks, Engel. Coming up next week, we have Michelle Cardinal, CEO and co-founder of the R2C Group, a marketing agency headquartered in Portland, Oregon. Michelle recently visited the College of Business here at UM as this semester's Gilkey speaker. Michelle and I will talk about her commitment to fighting homelessness in Portland and in other communities, as well as her great enthusiasm for helping young women in the workplace. We hope you tune in. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. Remember that A New Angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. They're our first sponsor, and we can't thank them enough. CED is one of the largest electrical wholesale supply companies in the country with nearly 600 locations nationwide. CED is a privately owned business-to-business company that distributes just about every piece of equipment you need to keep your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in our community, and they have a keen interest in University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out www.cedcareers.com. Moving forward, if you have any suggestions for guests, cool people doing awesome things, please let us know. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the show. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow. And third, please just tell your friends about it. In addition, you can also support A New Angle financially. For information on sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website, www.business.umt.edu. 
There you will also find a link to support the pod. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few folks for making this project happen. First, my colleagues at the College of Business for supporting this endeavor. In particular, Professor Josh Herbold for writing and recording original music for the show. We also have music provided by Switchback Records, a student-run record label here at the college. I'd also like to thank Elizabeth Willey, recent UM graduate Michelle DeFluke, and the entire comms team here at the College of Business. And finally, thanks to my producer, Stefan Borsum. As we close, if you have any suggestions, comments, questions, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.